morning, and the first couple of scriptures we'll read will just be short, and then we'll, of course, weave in other scriptures as we go along. So we'll start in Luke 11, just the first part of verse 2, and then we'll move into Matthew 6, verse 9. But before we do that, let's spend some time in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we desire, as we just recited, that your name would never be blasphemed upon our account, always honored and praised. And you teach us what it means to honor and praise you in your word. And so even this morning as we preach and we listen to the words of our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that you would indeed have your name be hallowed in our sight and in our hearts and our minds this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke 2, just the first part. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And then from Matthew 6, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You were given homework last week, and if you weren't here, that's okay, and if you didn't do it, that's okay. I, on more than one occasion, scrambled at the last minute to finish an assignment before it was due, hoping at least to get a passing grade, and so you can scramble a little bit. The teachers among you are cringing. I apologize for that, but you can, you can think a little bit on what it is, and the, the assignment was to consider what it is that holds you back in prayer, what it is that stands as an obstacle, as a barrier to prayer before the Lord. And I suspect that for a number of us, what holds us back from prayer is that we have sub-biblical, sub-biblical dishonoring thoughts about God. That He is not glorious in our sight, that we do not revere Him in our souls or in our hearts, and that He has become drab or boring. J.I. Packer says, drab thoughts of God make dull prayer. Drab is just that. Drab is dull. Drab is boring. You know, you go to Colorado or Utah or some similar place and you, you see the glory and the majesty of the mountains. That's glorious and majestic. You drive down Burnham Avenue in the middle of November when it's raining and gray and gloomy. That's drab. We should think of God as being majestic and glorious. We should not think of God as being drab and dull. And so, we don't want to have dull prayers. We don't want to have a, a drab understanding of who God is. We want to have glorious, majestic views of God. And so this morning's passage, as Jesus teaches us about the Lord's Prayer, we see that He will, he will help us to merciful, merciful, mercilessly crucify our sub-biblical views of God and instead, to take upon ourselves and to plant within ourselves a love for who God is as one who is majestic and holy and great. And so we begin, and as we come into these first two words, Jesus teaches us to pray. The Son of God teaches us to pray to His Father. And the very first two words are, indeed, our Father. And these words should never become dull to us. In fact, we, we haven't gotten through two words of the Lord's Prayer before God's grace should have just positively smacked us in the face. That He, through His Son, would instruct us and allow us, permit us, 
to call Him Father. What a grace. We should be thinking as we hear these words, me? Are you kidding me? I get to call Him Father. You realize if you read the, if you read the prayers of the Old Testament, nobody calls God Father. Not Abraham, not Moses, not David, not any of the greatest saints. None of them call God Father. The only relationship in which God is a father to His people is that Israel as a whole is referred to as His son and God is referred to as their father. But none of the Old Testament saints have the right and the privilege of addressing God as if they were His children. And so now we come we, who are we? We come and we listen to Jesus and we listen to Jesus say, and when you pray, pray our Father. And you know what's even better? We aren't just invited to pray this way, but we are even instructed to pray this way. This is supposed to be the normal way of prayer. It doesn't mean that every prayer we pray has to begin with those exact words, but it means that typically, ordinarily, when we come to God in prayer, we come as a child comes to a father. And a very, very, very good father at that. But we should, if we know ourselves, and if we've taken stock of ourselves, we should ask the question, how? How can I come to God as a child comes to his or her father. I think it'd be good to cover a couple of reasons that aren't the reasons for that before we look at the reason that is for that. And the first reason that is not the reason that we can come to God as our father is we do not come to God as our father because we are his children as by nature. We do not come to him as our father because we are Worthy. In fact, by nature, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, by nature we are children of wrath. And children of wrath are the opposite of children of God. That Adam was the son of God. Luke in his genealogy ends with Adam, the son of God. Adam in his perfection as an immediately created man was rightly called the son of God. But Adam squandered his sonship with his sin. And no one from Adam forward has ever been able to call God Father because they were worthy of it. So we are, not, we are not children of God by nature, nor are we children of God by essence. We are not the same sort of being that God is. God is God, and we are not. We have a difference from God. We, we hear Jesus says, Jesus says in John 14, God is spirit, but we are spirit and body. The prophet Zechariah speaks of God as forming the soul inside a man. We are a soul and body combo. We are the creature. God is the creator. We are the one who is little. God is the one who fills the heavens and the earth. And so we, we do not come to God as those who share His essence, who share His being, we come to God as those who have been created by Him. The, the only person who has ever been able to address God as His Father by essence is Jesus. Because Jesus is God. 
Jesus, in His divinity, has the fullness of God within Him. When we see Jesus, we see God. And Jesus is subject to God as regards His humanity, but equal to God as regards His divinity. And so Jesus has a natural, essential right to call God His Father. And we see this. We see that Jesus, with only one exception, refers to God in His prayers, addresses God as Father. Just one example comes from Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus addresses his Father as one that he shared glory with. None of us can pray this way. A, because we didn't exist before we were born, and B, because we do not share the glory of God. Jesus and Jesus alone shares in the immortal glory of God because he is himself God. We will never have this kind of glory. We will have glory. We will be glorified, but we will never have this kind of glory because we will never be God. And so we do not... We do not come to God as His children by nature, and we do not come to God as His children by essence. So then how do we come to God? We come to God as our Father by the fruit of adoption. That He has adopted us into His family. And how has He adopted us into His family? But He has adopted us into His family by faith in Jesus the Christ. That we are adopted by faith. That when we, when we trust Christ... We are united to Christ. We become a a part of His household, as we heard last Sunday night. And and we become a part of His body. And as those who belong to Christ, if we belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God, then we belong to God. And to belong as a person, to belong to God, is to belong as a son or daughter of God Himself. And we see this this spirit of adoption talked about a couple places in Scripture. The, The first one is in Galatians 4, verses 4 to 6. Paul says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Jesus, the Son, permits us to come as sons, or sons and daughters, we might say, because we belong to Him. And we see this as well. John the Apostle, in the very first part of his Gospel, John 1, verse 12, we we read this, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. We are children of God by faith. And we have a right to call God our Father only through faith and only through being united to the Christ. It is not a natural right. It is a given right. And you have, I I suspect you've heard the phrase, we're all God's children. That sounds very nice, doesn't it? But it's not true. We're not all God's children. 
There are some who are strangers to God, and there are some who are children of God. But only those who belong to Christ, who is the Son, are children, sons and daughters of God. Think about it this way. You have to know God to call Him Father. If somebody, if some child off the street who I do not know and have no relationship with, and perhaps one who doesn't even like me, begins to call me father or dad, it would be rather strange and appropriate. And so it would be strange or inappropriate who, for anyone who doesn't love God, who has not come to God's Son in faith, to call Him Father. We are not all children of God. We are all creations of God. We are all neighbors, as Jesus taught very plainly. But we are not all children of God. The inheritance of God belongs only to His children, and His children are only His children by faith in His own Son. So we are not all children of God. But we have two, two problems on either end of the spectrum. Some would refer to God as their father when he is not. And others would fail to refer to him as father when he is. I have this distinct memory. And it was from when I was quite young, maybe kindergarten, first grade, somewhere around there. And I was in Sunday school. I remember very few things from this time of my life, especially Sunday school lessons and that sort of thing. But on this particular day, we were talking in the class about God as our father. I, I suspect we we're probably talking about the Lord's Prayer. And in this, in this lesson, one of our teachers, we had two teachers in the class, one of the teachers said, I, I just can't call God my father because I, I didn't have a good experience with my father. My father wasn't kind. He wasn't nice. I, I, I have a, a bad taste on my mouth about fathers. You can understand this, can't you? At least you could understand it in somebody else's case. If, if you had a, go, a good father, praise God. But I would suspect that many of us, at least, have known someone in our lives who has not had a good father. And so we, we can understand that this, this woman had a, a bad taste in her mouth, had scars on her soul from fathers. But even while we can sympathize, it isn't right and thankfully, there was a second teacher in the class who was very quick to jump in and save the day, so to speak. And she reminded this, this other teacher and instructed all of us that God is a perfect father. And in every way that that woman's father had failed her, and in every way that he had scarred her and left a bad taste in her mouth, in every way that her father was imperfect, God the Father is perfect. God loves perfectly. His love never fails. His provision is forever. And we can have perfect confidence that He will never kick us out of the house. He will never reserve from us or keep back from us the things that are necessary. And He will most certainly never beat us up. The Anglican Prayer Book, again, is very helpful. And it says, God is always more ready to hear than we are to pray. God is always more ready to hear than we are to pray. John Calvin gives very similar comfort commenting on this part of the Lord's Prayer. He says, let us therefore entertain no doubt that God is willing to receive us graciously. No doubt. There is no doubt and there can be no doubt that God as our Heavenly Father is willing to receive us and hear our prayers with grace and with grace that belongs to us only because we belong to Christ.
That kind of grace is not drab. That kind of grace is not dull. It is not a boring grace. That is an amazing grace, to use the words of the song. That is an incredible grace that, that God would allow us to call Him as Father. Any bland view of God's grace should be destroyed in just two words as Jesus teaches us to pray. But one more note on Father. Jesus is our Father. Rather, God is our Father, sorry. God is our Father. We have an obligation then to honor Him. The fifth commandment instructs us, instructs us as children to honor our parents. So we have an, we have an obligation to honor God. I went to Northwestern College. I don't recommend it for any number of reasons, a few of them which also exist in Reformed institutions close to home, but I, I didn't. I, I went there, and one of the things that we had to do, one of the things that we had to do Northwestern chapels, we had, or Northwestern College, we had to go to chapel. And that sounds like a good thing, and perhaps in some cases it would be. You had to get enough chapel credits or they'd kick you out of school. Right? So you had to go. The problem was the chapel was not a very good place to be. There, there were a lot better Christian places to be any, any moment, including probably your bed, than the chapel at Northwestern College quite often. And one of the, one of the instances of this was there was a, a worship leader chosen by the chaplain who was what I would refer to as a militant feminist. If you have feminist ten tendencies, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend you, but she was a, a militant feminist, and she referred, she, she refused to call God Father. She would pray to our Heavenly Mother, and she always used female pronouns for God. Now, if God had chosen to reveal Himself that way, that would be fine, but He's not. He's chosen to, re he's chosen to reveal Himself to us as Father, as Him and His. And as His children, we owe Him the honor and the respect that a children owes a parent of addressing Him as our Father. So we have duty and we have privilege to address God. And we move on to the next phrase, our Father who art in heaven. Or if you're not insistent on praying in King James, you might simply say, as we have here before us, our Father in heaven. And as soon as we've come through the, the, the family aspect of God, as soon as we come through the, the familiarity we have with God, the closeness we have with God, immediately Jesus teaches us and reminds us that our God is great. That He, he, is, not, he is not a small, weak Father. He, he is not like us. He is not just like our earthly fathers. He is not a, a mushy-gushy, ishy-squishy God. He is a God who is great and magnificent and even to be feared. He, he is not a God who fails to discipline His children. This is the God who sent His son Israel, so to speak, on a 40-year circuitous journey through the wilderness because of their disobedience before He would bring them into the promised land. The author of Hebrews says of God, the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. He disciplines. He chastises. Not for the sake of exasperating, but for the sake of teaching, correcting. We have a great God. Solomon in 2 Chronicles 6 Verse 18, Solomon has, has finished the temple and he prays this great prayer of dedication and he says, but will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? The heaven 
Even the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. If our God is great, He's so great that even the highest heaven, even the realm where the angels are, is not big enough to contain Him. Our Father cannot be, cannot be kept in this, in this little space. He, he is not a, a Father who has a body. He is not ishigishi. He is not squishy. He is big. He is mighty. He is strong. He fills the heavens. He fills all of eternity. He does not need. He does not sleep. He does not change His mind. He He is powerful, He is unchanging, and He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. The psalmist says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. He does all that He pleases. Moses speaks of God very similarly. Our Father in Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. Has He said and will He not do it, or has He spoken and He will not fulfill it. Our God does all that He says He will do. And He never fails. If He says He will love us, He will love us. If He says He will save us, He will save us. If He says that He will provide for us, He will provide for us. He cannot be stopped. And if He tells you that there is nothing in heaven or on earth that can separate you from His love in Christ Jesus, then there is indeed nothing in the heavens or on the earth that can separate you from the love that He has for you. Isn't it a great comfort that we have a fearful God who is our Father? Isn't it a great comfort that the One who loves us cannot be stopped by anything or anyone? That if He says He will do something for us, then you can take it to the bank and know that every word of God proves true. Our Father is in heaven and He does what He pleases. This is not a drab God. And then we move on to the final phrase that we look at this morning. Hallowed be Thy name. This is the the first request of the prayer. This is the first petition of the prayer. And in this this prayer, we ask that God's name would be hallowed, that is to be revered or understood as holy. We, We pray, in essence, we pray for God to be seen for what He is. And it is not a coincidence that when Jesus teaches us to pray, He teaches us to pray this first. This request is both first in order and in importance. That the first prayer, the first request, is the most important. That the chief desire of our heart should be that God is honored. Honored by every living creature, by all of creation, but most specifically by ourselves. John Calvin says this this petition teaches us to look beyond ourselves, to look above ourselves. And Jesus really simply echoes sentiments from the Old Testament, like from Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. That's the first prayer we take upon our lips as we address God as our Father. To your name be the glory. May your your person be seen 
for how wonderful you are. May your power and your majesty, may your grace, your fearfulness, may the whole world see who you are. And then may they all bow down in worship. Even the angels, even the angels, as Isaiah saw, they, they stand around the throne of God saying, Holy, holy, holy. And we want, in this prayer, we say, we want the entirety of the creation, including ourselves, to join with them in song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is holy. And He is great, gracious. From everlasting to everlasting, He is God. Don't we want people to see the bigness of God and to see the love of God? But first, we must see it for ourselves. If we, are to, if we are to have others revere God, to hallow the name of God, we have to do it ourselves first. You cannot teach someone about a God that you do not know. And you cannot encourage someone to revere a God that you do not revere. And so we pray first for ourselves, hallowed be thy name. And in this prayer, if we are to say these words with integrity, we must also at the very same time be committed to running away from anything that is flippancy about God. We cannot take God's name lightly. All the while we pray, may your name be hallowed. About 10 years ago, there was this very popular t-shirt, and it was essentially a, a very holy virtue signaling and it had this, this face on it. And of course, he knew the face was supposed to be Jesus. He really had striking, sharp features and long, flowing hair and all those things that Jesus probably wasn't, right? There's nothing about his appearance that we should be drawn to him, the prophet says. But, but anyways, there was this guy with this long, flowing hair. You know he's supposed to be Jesus. And, uh, and there were words on the front of the shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. No, he's not. He's not your homeboy. He's your God. He's your Lord. He's your elder brother. He's your Savior, but He's not your homeboy. What a, what a flippant thought to have about Christ. And don't we, at the same time, need to be allergic to similar thoughts about God? That we would think that somehow we could be flippant about the Creator of the heavens and the earth who has adopted us into His family. To sit here and revere Him on Sunday morning but make jokes about Him some other time as though He is just to be trifled with. We don't trifle with our Heavenly Father. You can trifle with your buddies, but God is not your buddy. He's not your chum. And He's not your grandma or someone you can joke about. He is your God. And praise God, your God is your Father. We need to do away with this wretched American idea of the likeness of God. As though He was so near to us that He is no longer to be feared. He is to be feared. And He is near. And one does not come at the expense of the other. He is God and He is Father. And it is our desire to revere Him as such. And because of this, 
we should run from anything that looks like blasphemy. Blasphemy is the opposite of reverence. In, in the third commandment, the Lord commands us not to take his name in vain. That is, of course, makes perfect sense with what Jesus says. Jesus says that we should hollow, that we should revere, that we should hold holy the name of God. Not take it in vain. And so we should have nothing to do with blasphemy. And far be it from us to be blasphemers. Again, we ought to take upon our, our lips the words of the psalmist, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Is that the cry of our hearts as we pray these words of the Lord's Prayer? Is it, is it really genuinely our desire that we don't receive glory, but He does? Do we, do we really desire, and all that we would, do we really desire that we would push glory away from ourselves and to Him that we might be seen as feeble and frail and in need of a Savior, in need of love as we are, and that He might be seen as the great God? That's what you pray for when you pray the prayer of the Lord. Let's find something from R.C. Sproul. If there's anybody in the last hundred years who was uh, a preacher or a teacher of the glory, the hallowedness of God's name, it was him. And he said this, I can't understand how a regenerate person, that is a born-again person, could ever use the name of Jesus in a blasphemous way. How can you worship someone whom you routinely blaspheme? I don't see how it's possible. Of course, we could say that about God our Father as well. You can't worship someone that you take lightly. You can't worship someone who's the tagline to a joke. You can only worship someone who is holy and who is revered in your life. And you see that in this, in this prayer, the master of prayer, the Son of God himself, weaves together wonderfully a number of themes. And he puts together, without compromise, he puts together an incredible reality, a, a couple of incredible realities. He, he draws us to the conclusion that God is near to us. And he gives us a sense of confidence without stripping away a feeling of awe and wonder. He gives us in the word Father a recognition, that, a recognition that God is near to us, that He loves us, that He cherishes us, that He provides for us and saves us, adopts us. And, and even He reminds us that as children we have, a, we have an inheritance in His kingdom together with the Son of God. That we should be heirs, as Paul says, heirs together with Christ. He reminds us, He teaches us this in the words our Father. And yet, He leads us to marvel that our Father is enthroned in the heavens, that our Father is far above the earth, that He is the God of all the earth, that He lives in unapproachable light, that He does all that He wants, that He is perfectly glorious and perfectly worthy of our worship that our Father is the great God. Isn't that marvelous? That our God is the great God. Our Father is the great God. 
This is not a drab God. And to think of him as we think of driving down Burnham Avenue in the gray blandness of November is to do the exact opposite of what we pray in the last part in the first petition, hallowed be your name. To take the words of the hymn, and can it be, and can it be, and can it be that this God would be our Father? Take stock of yourself. Are you worthy of this God? Are you worthy even to be a servant in his house? But no, you are not. Certainly neither am I. But though we are not worthy, we are made not only servants, but sons and daughters of God who calls himself our Father. So put those drab, boring, dull thoughts of God on the cross of Christ and let them hang there until they're dead. And bury them never to come out. And then come back next week. Again, answering the question in your own hearts, what is it that ceases, what is it that is a barrier to my prayer? And come ready to kill that as well. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it is our desire that your name would be revered. We, we pray that every creature on the earth, that all of your creation, even, even our neighbors, ourselves across the world, that we would that we would sing to the praise of your glory, that you wouldn't need the rocks to cry out because we are praising you. Great God, we, in a knowledge of our sin, wrongly hesitate to come to you. We know rightly what it is to be a sinner before you, and, and we sense that that we, are, that we are unworthy of being called sons and daughters. But we draw near to you in confidence. We draw near to you as our Father, not in ourselves, but in Christ. Because He has made Himself to be our brother. And as our brother, He has made us to be your children. And we know that He is, as the author of the Hebrews puts it, able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to you and him. And so, Father, we are incredibly thankful. You have made us your children. And we know that this makes us richer than the richest man on the planet. And even were we to possess entire planets and galaxies, even if you were to give us a universe of our own, it would be nothing compared to being your child. And so to you we give praise and thanks as grateful children to you, our Heavenly Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.